Let's go, let's go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Love the baby Jesus. Here we go, here we go. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Good to see you. There was, uh, at this time next week, there's a call, a call meeting, voters meeting, a voters meeting about issuing a call. Uh, all the data is on the last page of the bulletin, but uh, remember it takes a while to sign in. You can only vote if you're a member and you have to sign in to get a ballot. We really try to <laughs> only have as many votes as we hand out ballots. We really try, so you should <laughs> sign in and uh, check at the door. And so anyway, show up. We'll see what, we'll see what happens next week. Questions about anything? All right, um, the world is such an interesting place right now, and uh, I'm convinced it's because people hit, they hit what they aim at. Um, I hear tales every week of how, you know, how terrible it is to go to work because people are rude, how horrible it is to fly because nobody gives concession to anybody else, how, you know, restaurants are more difficult than they used to be, on and on and on, just tales about, and, you know, of course, already the anticipation of the next election and what will happen and how people will treat each other and defenses are up and, oh my, you know. And then, you know, people wonder why it's so bad. I want to just say, have you had a look at yourself lately? <laughs> I mean, what do you want out of life? What do you want? Because you're getting what you want, right? The question of desire. When you wake up in the morning, what do you want? What are you aiming at? What do you desire? What do you love? These are all variations on the same theme. Uh, and the answer, of course, is fairly easy. To be honest with you, I'm kind of embarrassed to actually, you know, take your time to say it out loud. But the answer is, be a saint. You should be a saint. The world is short on saints. You know, be a priest, royal priesthood. What do priests do? They sacrifice and pray. They tend and keep. Be a priest. Be a saint. Be a priest. Follow Christ. As we heard last week, Jesus, come, follow, sit, listen, do. So simple in explanation. But as you saw with Adam, it's so difficult in execution because, as Father Schmemann said in one of the quotes we read last week, Adam wakes up one day and he wants a little private corner of the cosmos all to himself, a place where God cannot go. And what's happened, of course, in our world is that that has turned into a land grab. The place where God cannot grow has expanded and expanded and expanded, and it covers much of the earth. So much so that God isn't even considered in how we would go forward. Why are we in such trouble? Because we hit what we aim at. This is not sort of a you know, law-minded lecture about, oh, those bad people over there, and da-da-da. Let it be a chat about mercy that despite the fact that Adam would say to God, I hate you, and I want to be God myself, God nevertheless has mercy on him and says, well, we'll have to sort this out. If it weren't for second chances, we'd all be alone. But, of course, the story is the story of second chances. And beyond then, 
what do you desire, is a question of who are you. And Adam took a crack at defining himself. And we do the same thing with every disobedience or each time we even wander away. And so, you know, the trick will be, of course, is to love God again. In the end, this I'm sure will all boil down to, it's so simple, love and hate. And kind of beyond that, it'll be pride and humility, which are another way of talking about love and hate. Or obedience and disobedience, which is another way of talking about love and hate. These things are so simple in explanation. But they're so difficult in execution because our hearts are so dark. When we wake up in the morning, we are swayed and sometimes determined by the original sin that lives in our heart, Adam's gift to us, where we desire not God, but anything else, but mostly ourselves. So if you um, don't like the world, the answer is fairly clear. You could be a saint. And the path to that is pretty explicit. Get your baptism, go to the Eucharist, do what the scriptures say. You could be a priest. You could spend your days in prayer and sacrifice for other people. Now, the key here is going to be that you can't control other people. I mean, you shouldn't think that I'm talking about the person who's to your right or to your left. I'm actually talking to you and I'm talking to me. Look, it's not about, it's not about all the people sitting around you. When you walk out the door, it's not about all the other people who are different from you. It's not about those people. It's just about you. You can't make anybody else a saint and you can't make anybody else a priest. You can't even hit what other people are aiming at. So this is just a, this is just a, a, a couple of weeks of um, adjusting your aim and loving what's meant to be loved and having a life that matters no matter what anybody else does. Doesn't matter what anybody else does. Doesn't matter if anybody else goes, because those people don't define your identity. Those people don't tell you who you are. What do you want? And who are you? What do you love and whom do you listen to? So that is a simple, but you know, what can I do? So here we are at number one. La Sagrada Familia, the great uh, Gaudi piece in Barcelona. As you, if you listen to the audio tour, the very first questions are, you walk into this place, it's magnificent. It's one of the most wonderful places I've ever been in my life. It's so different and unexpected. I was with a group of people who were unbelievers there and uh, a bit strangers. I struck up a conversation, which is odd for me. And so, uh, <laughs> in a cathedral. <laughs> and then you know, there's a young man who says, he looks at the crucifix over the altar, which is kind of remarkable. He says, this could almost make me believe. I was like, oh. <laughs> you're almost there. The audio tour begins, who am I? You know, the great questions of Western civilization. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? These are the same questions in a different way. What do you desire? Who do you listen? These are all questions that are all the same. They're questions about identity and destiny. They're questions about love. What matters? Point number two. Um, you know, it's not so far from being a Lutheran. There's the large catechism right there. Luther. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself, I say, is really your God. When you're in trouble, where do you turn? 
Or if things, uh, when there's nobody else left, do you say, Jesus, help me? Whatever you entrust your heart to, that to which your heart clings, that which you aim at, that's what you love, that's your God. Or Merton, you know, the things we love tell us who we are. All right, just flip the page. And then this very stark suggestion to you that this is a very simple distinction between what you love and what you hate. And you need to be extraordinarily careful with both your loves and your hates. It's a real question whether you have any right or warrant to hate anything or anybody. You should really ponder that. Go just pause for a moment and say, you know, just bring to mind, don't say anything out loud, just bring to mind someone you hate. Can you do it? Just bring to mind. Or something. Um, that should be a very short list and probably blank at best. <coughs> you can love the things that Jesus loves and you can hate the things that Jesus hates. That list is very small. You'll hear a little in the sermon about that today. The problem is it creeps up on us. If you said to Adam in the garden, do you hate God? Of course not. Just one little space. Sounds like any old teenager. I need a little, I just need something of my own. I need my own room. Paint the walls black and other things. <laughs> if you said to Adam, do you hate him? And maybe if I say to you, do you hate him? Maybe if I say that to you, if I say to you, do, do you hate anybody? Maybe you can't pull anybody up, actually, that'd be nice. Unless it's just a glitch in how you define hate. Just kind of, just kind of think about this, you know. The, your whole life just boils down basically to love and hate. Quite remarkable, actually. And, you know, your hate gets expressed in strange ways, although this may not be exhaustive, and I'm not trying to find one thing that kind of sums up everything, but the first week in Lent is going to be actually pretty good, where Satan comes to tempt Jesus. And you, know, you can talk about it in different ways, but really it does come down to pleasure. You're hungry, you need something to eat, that would be pleasing to you. Popularity, you show up and everybody says, uh, you are fabulous. And power, you can be king and make other people do what you want. And if not, that's the end of them. Jesus came to announce that an identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity. That would eliminate about 98% of our present world. Go home and read the paper today, cover to cover. See if there's anything in the paper that doesn't fit under success, popularity, or false identity. I just read yesterday, I was so thankful. In the New York Times, I just read that it was a great, this is so great because this is clearly proof of being an old man. This is the, the new, fa did you, you're keeping up on the pa Paris fashion shows, are you not? I was so grateful to see that straight pants are back. The weariness of two years of baggy pants, flares and bell bottoms has gone away. Paris is full of, check it, straight pants. <laughs> Life is so beautiful. Because, <laughs> you know, my identity there was completely lost for two years. If I'd have shown up in Paris, that would have been, I couldn't have even gotten the baguette. That would have been it. So, you know, it's how much of the world is based on success, popularity, false identity. Who consumes the news? 
who, who breathes the air of what's important? Who, whom do you listen to? Whom do you follow? Who tells you who you are? And then, of course, that creates desire. If you don't have success or popularity, you'll, you'll need to get some. It creates your desire. And suddenly you want things that somebody else has created, not what God has created. And if you push hard enough, this will eventually become a matter of hate or also a matter of love. This last piece from Galatians, you know, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, it's presuming though that you love God. And there is this question of destiny, which I sort of put to you last time. It's the where are you going question. Who am I? Where am I from? What do I want? Where am I going? Destiny. Well, does, it often comes as, you know, does my life matter? Does anything I do have any consequence? There's actually a better question than that. That, that question can be brushed away because we can't see ourselves in real time. But a better question is to ask, has my life been marked with holiness? Have I been a saint? Have I been priest? Have I been faithful? These are the questions that matter. And of course, um, the crazy thing about eternity is that God gives us our way. We always pin everything on God, but you know, hell is when you get your way forever. Heaven is when God gets his way forever. It's a very simple kind of choice. Heaven is when God gets his way with you. Heaven on earth, the kingdom of God, is when God gets his way with you now. And how can such a thing happen? It's a real question. How can you be the saint that you were meant to be in baptism? How can you be the priest that you were meant to be when God called you into his kingdom? And how can you be that? And so last week, this is point number three, we saw it happen to the disciples. And uh, we learned a bit from them about how we can go forward. But what, partly what we learned from that story is that we're most satisfied when we're most near. So one after another, Jesus calls these disciples, right? Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip, Nathaniel, right? And as he pulls them close, their old life melts away and everything that matters is given to them, this beautiful story of second chances. Now, I wanna to try to give you a couple of models for, or a couple of indications, or maybe just a couple of stories is easier. I hate to, I had a, you know, model gets too close to paradigm, gets too close to nine steps for being a better Christian, blah, blah. Yes, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go in that direction. Let me just give you a couple of stories. First of St. Joseph. I've been thinking about this over Christmas because I knew this was coming. And the Christmas stories then took a different meaning for me because I was very curious about both Joseph and Mary, or I continued to bump into them and I saw the fidelity with, with which both of them lived. And I think they'd be good for us. Matthew 1, 18 to 25, point four. The birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now think about Joseph, right? Her husband Joseph, being a just man, just is a word for holiness or righteousness, just means he you know, keeps the law. He's a righteous man, he's forgiven. He's holy, he, he's a saint, he lives the way God wants him to live. 
And now immediately you have how a saint, how a Christian, how a just person deals with other people. We normally think of just persons. The first person that usually comes to mind is a judge who normally gives sentence. And Joseph was a just man and unwilling to shame her. Well, justice has something to do with mercy. It has something to do with love. He considered these things and an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, hey, Joseph, son of David, this is, he could pulls the, drops a name, right? If son of David, hey, Joseph, this is your lineage. This is who you are. Do not fear, no phobos. Don't fear a regular occasion. Jesus will regularly say to his disciples, don't fear, don't fear. Don't fear. Easter at the tomb, don't fear. In the boat, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, you call his name Jesus, so now the bid for obedience, right? So Joseph is a just man and he's merciful. Joseph is a just man and he's obedient. Joseph is a just man and he listens. Does it ever occur to you that Joseph never speaks in the entire scriptures? Not one word. Silence which of course makes it easier for God to talk to him, which is why you should read your scriptures someplace quiet today. She'll bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, he'll save his people, boom, boom, boom. She'll do this, you'll do this, he'll do this. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, great stuff. 24, and when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did. When he woke up from sleep, he hit what he was aiming at. When he woke up from sleep, he said, okay. Okay, I'll do it. Just as the angel of the Lord had bid him. And he didn't know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When our Lord comes near through an angelic embrace, so to be embraced by an angel is the same as being embraced by God himself. The angel just delivers. Joseph listens and obeys in silence. Humility. The one who glorified the apostles by the honor of preaching. So Jesus, this just, I stole this out of the middle of a book. Jesus made some people prophets or disciples and they preached. They were loud. They went places. But the same God, and you can take comfort in this if your life seems to be kind of humdrum, mundane, not exciting, just doing your work. <laughs> you don't know how much Jesus loves that in you. Ordinary saints. At the same one who established prophets and kings and preachers. Glorified St. Joseph by the humility of silence. And from this fact, we should learn that the glory of Christians is not from brilliant achievements, but in doing what God wants. It's the, same, it's the same thing. It's not from success. It's not from popularity. It's not from beauty. It's not from pleasure. It's not from going your own way. It's not from carving your own niche in the universe. It's not any of those things. Humility is doing what God wants. Glory is doing what God wants. 
we all have the honor of obeying him. I'm just going to the bold here because I've given you long pieces. You can think about them later and I can't read everything. We all have the honor of obeying him. It was in this way that Joseph the just man lived. Look, and now the pattern is the same. We saw this with the disciples, right? He saw Jesus and was silent. He heard him, did not speak. He contented himself with God alone. It's the same story we read last week about the disciples. They saw him, Jesus speak. They go, whew, come follow me. They do, they obey. Come, we've found the Messiah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? All greatness consists in conforming ourselves to God's orders, period. We could just kind of stop and celebrate the Eucharist for the rest of our lives if you and I were able to absorb that. All greatness consists in conforming ourselves to God's orders, very nice gospel word, to the way God has ordered the universe, the way God has given Eden to us. However it may please him to dispose of us, now that gets more difficult. And finally, that this obscurity that we so fear. Imagine if you wore straight pants last year. <laughs> that is so illustrious, so glorious, may be chosen even by God. Even God chooses obscurity. Even God chooses silence. You think about the cross. Even God chooses humility. Can you think about it in this way? That Jesus hits what he's aiming at? He was always aiming at the cross. This is what Jesus teaches us, hidden with the humble family, Mary and Joseph, whom he joins to the obscurity of his life because they are very near to him. To be near to Jesus is to listen to him. To be near to Jesus is to do what he does. To be near to Jesus is to agree with him. Let us take our part with them and hide ourselves with Christ. He's still hidden. He suffers every day because his name is blasphemed and his gospel is mocked. And you all, and I too, Christians have been extraordinarily angry for many years now. And their response in anger is often hateful. Pause. I'm not dithering in the politics of how Christians defend themselves, what political party they are, what people's rights are. I'm not, not any of that. That's going to work itself out. And you can do that. But you should know the state is not the church and the church is not the state. One of the glories of being Lutheran, and Lutherans forget this daily, is the notion of two kingdoms. That the world does its work and should be just, but the work of the church is mercy. And the icon of the church is Christ on the cross. There's a reason that's our definition of identity but we mix those up really easy. And we should ask ourselves, when we feel that kind of hatred toward other people, we should ask ourselves, is this the way of Jesus and the church or not? And the church has much to repent of for mixing these two things up. But if you want a clear answer, go to Jesus. He's still hidden. He suffers every day. Jesus suffers every day. Because his name is blasphemed and his gospel is mocked because the hour of his greatness, greatest glory is not to come. It's not the last day until it's the last day. But when Jesus shows himself in majesty, it will then be time to appear. When Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. 
This is really important for you. Payday is later. It might be now. It might be. Uh, one of the great things it, about St. John, and especially with Pastor Nelson uh, kind of leading things in a, such a great direction is, payday is now every Sunday. You know, I said last week we had 4,000 more people last year in 2023 than we did in 2022. It's a startling number of people. It's part of why you need another pastor because even if you just said hi 4,000 more times, that's pretty much a full-time job. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's the same people. We gotta get going. And this is why it's so important for you to keep it. You know, if I'm here or not here, if you're here or not here, what's important is that the people who are here keep it. So you come in, you say, at least this is one place where Christ's glory appears, where his majesty is followed, where he's honored, where we can live in humility. This is at least one place, right? That's what makes, and that's partly why, now I can go all the way back to anybody who's politically riled up, part of the reason why the church is drawing so much fire is that evil hates to see love. Pride hates to see humility. It's a sermon today. Jesus is holy and he shows up and all of a sudden there's a demon right there. This is just how the world works. Hold on. How sweet it will be to stand on that day when Jesus will praise us before his holy angels, before the whole universe, before his heavenly father. If that rattles your Lutheran sensibilities, you need to read your Bible. Where at the end of Matthew, Jesus calls people in front and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, it's in the text. You know? Try to enjoy it when it happens to you. Let men be eternally silent about us. This is good, humility. So they may speak of us, so Jesus Christ may speak of us on that day. This, that's great stuff. So it's really important then, when you wake up in the morning, I mean, just kind of observe yourself. What's the first thing that comes to mind? What is it that you want naturally? You can ask it in other ways, of course. You can ask what kind of mood you're in. You know, are you agitated? Are you afraid? Are you depressed? Do you just have to get to the first thing? You have to get to the first thing so quickly that, you know, your blood pressure's up and you have to skip kissing your wife and kids before you leave, or you don't have time for devotions, or there's no time for scripture, or, 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 or. See, it can work in all sorts of directions. Do you wake up in the morning thinking of people you hate? People that you have to do in? Do you wake up in the morning thinking of people that you love? Do you think of the troubled who need your prayers? What do you love? What do you want? What is it that you want? It's really important. It seemed to be very clear to Joseph what he wanted when he woke up in the morning. He wanted to be a just man. All this talk about masculinity in the church now and all kinds of pastors are given good advice. I'm wary. But if they start the Society of St. Joseph, I'm in. Because if it's about being a just and a merciful man, then, you know, you're on the right track. Now think too about Mary in the same way. So Joseph, he went through his life in obscurity. We don't have a word from him. We don't even know what happened to him. 
We don't know if he was young or old. We don't know if he died, which is kind of the church tradition, that he was older than Mary and he died then uh, before Jesus sort of uh, went to the cross or when he even went to the ministry. We don't exactly know. We just don't, he would just, you know, he was a just man who lived in mercy, who obeyed God, and he's Saint Joseph. The Blessed Virgin Mother. In the sixth month, an angel named Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, and I just have to say, the rosary has it over on the ESV, which is the translation we use. Hail Mary, full of grace, is the literal translation of the Greek. It is not hail favored one. I mean, it's close. You're 72% of the way there. But hail Mary, full of grace, or even better is the passive verb, filled by grace. Good morning, Mary, the one whom God has filled with grace. Certainly, of course, the one whom God has favored. But this is a very rich text. Good morning, Mary, who desires only God. Good morning. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. There it is, near, right? Now, of course, she's greatly troubled, and that's the normal course of business for someone who lives in humility. She knows what's going on in this sense. An angel has appeared. I mean, apparently you can't miss this if it happens to you. She was troubled, irritated. This is, it's a word for being really agitated, like you're just like, what's happening to me? And she tried to, and this is a beautiful word, discern, discerno in Latin. This is the word for sorting things out. It's either X or Y, it's one or two, it's this or that, it's love or hate, it's danger or safety. Discerning means you're, you're sorting things into piles. So an angel has shown up and, you know, you wonder why. Once the shite boys were at Purdue, back when there were shite boys at Purdue, all the shites go to Purdue, you know. There were two or three of them in a fraternity house at the same time. And I was there for some pastor thing. So I went over to the fraternity house afternoon said, where are the shite boys? They said, they're in their room. And of course, I opened the room and all the shite boys were still asleep. <laughs> and they awakened to the sight of their pastor saying, good morning, boys. It was very much like this experience. They tried to discern what this could mean. <laughs> they're all beautiful boys. The shites are wonderful folks. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You know, you found favor with God. This is Karis, you found grace with God. Or God has been gracious to you. Or God said he loves you and you said, I love you back. That's what that means. So you're gonna have a baby and you'll call his name Jesus and he'll be uh, great, fabulous, mega. And he'll be son of the most high. 
and he'll sit on David's throne and he'll reign forever. It was, I mean, that's quite an announcement, right? I mean, it's not just that you're going to have a baby, but, you know, king of the world. Mary said gently, what? Now, how, is that, how is that even possible? How can that, how can that be? This is gentle in humility, right? And the angel said, ah, oh, it's going to work just like this. You remember when the Holy Spirit used to be over the tabernacle as they were marching toward the promised land? It'll be like that. You remember how the Holy Spirit, the cloud, fills the Holy of Holies and God sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant? It'll be like that. That's in the word overshadow. It's code. Now the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. You can imagine what this must have been like. The one that was in the tabernacle, the one that lives in the Holy of Holies, he'll be that near to you. This is the kind of presence that can kill you, but it comes to you as grace, as favor. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the child will be holy. There's a startling thing to say. Because nobody's holy except this child. Elizabeth is pregnant too. And then this is the verse you should take with you. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. And Mary said, you know, I'm your servant. And then the great word, you know, that's everything. Fiat in the Latin. Let it be or yes, or I'm in, or I love you, or this is fabulous, or it's quite amazing actually, however she might have said it. <laughs> Let it be to me according to your word, and then the angel went home. And of course, this is the same response that Jesus looks for from you, this fiat, right, in a word. When Jesus says to you, I want you to live in love, not hate, I want you to live in humility, not pride. I want you to live in mercy. Fiat. Okay, I'm in. And you begin to see how all these things come together. You know all these things, right? You know how listening goes with discerning, goes with acting, goes with loving, goes with listening to scriptures, goes with going to the Holy Eucharist, goes with being merciful, goes to being generous, right? Tithing and alms. These things are all cut from the same cloth. In fact, part of what's sort of made me crazy at this, if anybody's been in my office in the last you know, 10 days, my office is, is a disaster because I have, I have papers and articles and books from all directions kind of all coming together at one time. But if I get to the, if I can, by the time I get to the end of this, I want to see if I can give you a way to sort through. But the important thing is to find what's all-encompassing. The only covenant thing is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It really turns out that love is the chief, vir chief virtue and that all these other things can be pulled out. This whole story can be told in this way. The angel comes to Mary and says, God really loves you. And she says, I love him too. And whatever he wants, I've got. What do you desire? And who are you? What do you want and who defines you? Look at Mary. What is her desire? Fiat, 
to love God, to do what God asks, to be faithful, to be faithful in mercy, to be faithful in humility, with Joseph, to be faithful in silence. What do you want to love God? Who tells you who you are? I mean, people must have thought she was crazy. And can you imagine when she started a show? In that little town in Nazareth? Some of you have been to Nazareth. There's still a little town. Everybody would have known. And Joseph's sort of like, we just keep going one foot in front of another. That moment was full of wonder when Mary was standing conversing with Gabriel. One humble daughter of poor folk and one angel met each other and spoke a wonderful tale. So this is written like a conspiracy way back in the fifth century. It's beautiful. A pure virgin and a fiery watcher spoke with wonder. They're both, you know, of course, astounded by this. I said, as I said yesterday in the new members class, this is the, this is the promise, uh, in, you know, kind of in church tradition when people think about it, this is the promise that makes Satan fall from heaven. He couldn't bear to think that human flesh would be elevated by the incarnation. He could not bear to think that Jesus in flesh would be above the angels. He could not bear that human beings would be saved. Mary's astounded, Gabriel's astounded. He spoke with wonder, a discourse that, look at this, reconciled dwellers of earth and heaven. I have to tell you, I've never quite thought about this. It's like, um, you know, Mary and Gabriel brokering a peace plan in Gaza. It's like that. This is what it's like, but on a, on a zillion time scale. They're sort of working out how the world is going to go forward and not be destroyed. They're working out how you can still be saved, how for you it can be heaven, that God can have his way with you. One woman and the prince of all the hosts made an agreement for the reconciliation of the whole world. They spoke and made peace for those who were wroth, the ancient word for being intensely angry, hating, wanted to kill the other party. Maiden and watcher meet each other, met each other, and conversed on the matter until they abolished the conflict. Isn't this glorious stuff? I mean, you, you wish you knew people like this. Abolish the conflict between the Lord and Adam. So Adam makes a mess and Mary cleans it up. Well, it was no secret how it got cleaned up. She loved and Adam hated. She let the Lord have everything and Adam wanted to keep some back for himself, the unforgivable sin, to hold something back for yourself. The great strife that occurred amidst the trees, right, came up for discussion. They're talking about Adam in the garden. And it came to an end. There was peace. An earthly being and a heavenly one spoke with love. You see the genius of these people? They understand the whole story at the deepest part. They understand how it happens cosmically. They understand how it happens analytically. They understand the process. They understand the end. This is genius. An earthly being and a heaven was spoke with love. The struggle between the two sides ceased and they were at peace. This is beautiful stuff. It makes you wonder how Lutherans ever got on the wrong side of Mary. It puts you on the wrong side of Jesus, you know. He loved his mother. You should love his mother too. 
there's more than I can do, but maybe just a few words out of this next piece, and then uh, you should come back to the meeting next week. Mary stands before us in all her glory to show what marvels God will accomplish in you. I wonder if you can take that seriously. Mary is here to show what can happen to you. Joseph is here to show what can happen to you. Adam showed what could happen to you too. If you're going to try to keep life to yourself and define it on your own terms, I mean, it never works out in the end, and even the middle isn't always that fun. But if you watch Mary, Mary stands before us to show what marvels God will accomplish in us, what heights, what nearness. If we give ourselves to him, as she did, and allow him to work in us. She submitted herself without reserve. And that's, of course, what you want to do every morning and every evening. You wake up and say your prayers and submit yourself to God without reserve. And you go to bed at night. Traditionally in the church, the last prayer you say is a prayer of confession for where you did not submit to God without reserve. So your morning is, please let me hit what I'm aiming at. Please let me submit my entire will to you without reserve. And in the evening you say, I'm sorry I didn't hit what I'm aiming at. Forgive me for not submitting my will to you without reserve. This is life. Carried out with unswerving fidelity. All those things prayed beforehand, little or great. Mary looked for God's guidance and she followed. Her life was a continual fiat. What would you like? I'll do it. What would you like? I'll do it. Where are we going? I'll do it. What would you like? I'll do it. She sought only to please him, to be docile in his hands. And then this is very hard, whether what he asked was painful or sweet. This is the happy story about Mary. Um, to see a crucifixion is one thing. To see your son crucified is quite something else. Mary passed from one duty to another, from prayer to work, from work to repose, with the same tranquility and singleness of purpose. What did she desire? Ever hand in hand with the beloved, her eyes upon him. She accepted all with the same simple, unquestioning love. And this is important for you uh, analytical Western types. She did not ask to understand. You know, regularly people get all bollocked up because, you know, you get two errors in praying. One is you prescribe for Jesus exactly what he should do, usually keyed by Jesus, I just want. Like, that's all you want? Because that's a bad plan. <laughs> we should get a good plan or ask for a good plan. One is you tell Jesus exactly what you want. And Jesus is like, yeah, I mean, okay, if you want the two-door Malibu, Malibu, but I, you know, there's a new Lamborghini out. Have you seen it? It's electric. It'd be fun to drive. Oh, I just want the Malibu with two. Okay, I just want that. Okay. All day long, Jesus is like a rejected car salesman. Because of you, because of you, because of you. That was God's affair, not hers. Every Christian life must be, and don't be scared by this, contemplative love, discerning, right? Thoughtful. Be thoughtful about your life. Overflowing with loving sacrifice. A Christian knows love serves. We're getting all kinds of terms from different directions, from different traditions, from different people, but they all talk about the same thing. It's obedient love. 
let us learn from Our Lady how to cooperate with the divine action. If that makes you nervous, I, I didn't print it because it takes up so much space. I'll give you the formula of Concord Lutheran stuff about the new will cooperating with God's will. In sanctification, cooperation is what you need. You'll never get it done on your own. It's majesty obscured by lowliness, humiliation, suffering. You see, you not always get popular from doing the right thing. Can you think about one time in your life right now when you did the right thing and it wasn't that popular? Congratulations, you live in the image of the Blessed Virgin Mother. God's action is always there. So this is a thing to take confidence in. He's always carrying out his purpose of deifying us. You know, we can talk about that in a little while. Sanctifying us for Lutheran types. We must have an unshakable faith in the divine providence directing our lives. We must have an ardent faith in his constant care, never ceasing to trust his love. He loves you. God loves you. He wants your good. He'll sort it out for you. You're going to be fine. Do as he asks. It's best for you. It's a Lamborghini. God is the simple, the routine, the uneventful, the drab things of life. It is there that we encounter him and can, if we will, see, if we will, we often choose a different direction. We often desire something else. But if we will embrace him as Mary did, for he's Emmanuel, God with us, our task is to be with him always. Nearness. All right, see you next week. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.